0: Notice what you feel when I just say the word. Some of us recoil at it or rail against the idea. Many of us have been on the blunt end of unjust or abusive or at the very least unskillful exercises of power. But what if we could see power as something not external to us, that we resist or relinquish, but as a force that lives in all of our actions? Could we learn to use it well? Could we be honest about where we have it? Could we grow it, share it, risk it? Could we learn to wield it well? On this episode, Alicia breaks down what power is, how we build it, and why we need it in order to build a more equitable society. I think this episode is necessary listening for anyone wondering how to begin and how to understand what it will take to change things. I really hope you enjoy it. You know, before I get into it, I have to say, I woke up this morning, I thought, Alicia is going to look amazing (laughs) as we record this podcast. But I felt like it's a rainy day. I was like, I'm only wearing sweats. I'm not even going to try today. But I knew that Alicia was going (laughs) to...
1: You know, I got to (laughs) represent.
0: You really do. You really do. Thank you, babe. I appreciate that. Yes. All right. Um... As soon as I put together this podcast, I thought, who are the people that I want to be in conversation with? And you, Alicia, you were at the very top of that list. And I was actually a little nervous to ask you to do it, but I always wanted to have this conversation with you. So thank you for um, being down for it. Honestly, I really appreciate it.
1: I really appreciate you asking, and I'm excited to be
0: on. Yay. Okay. So we begin in the same place every episode which takes us to many different places. Um, But we begin with this question of where are we now? As you look around from where you are, what do you see? What are the factors that are in play? How would you describe this moment? Hmm. I think where we are now
1: um, is both a very dangerous moment and a moment of incredible opportunity. And I know that can sound a little bit... um, You know, contradictory. But um, on the dangerous side of things, um, we are in a we're in a pretty intense period of backlash, and that backlash is really driven by um, um, some of the ways in which we've been successful in um, inserting new conversations, intervening in old conversations, right, and bringing new conversations to the table. And not just talking, right, but also changing rules and changing who's in power and changing um, the way that power operates. And um, so we should expect, right, that the people who benefit from the way things are right now, um, they want their shit back. (laughs) and They want it to go back (laughs) the way it was, right? I mean, that's just a fact. And so what's dangerous about that Prentice is that One, some of us don't see it that way. And Mm -hmm. so therefore, we're responding in ways that aren't meeting the moment. Number two, Mm -hmm. um, it's scary. And it's not just that people are mad, right? It's actually that um, people are being targeted and lives are at stake and on the line. And that is increasingly true. For example, so much of this backlash is being driven by White nationalists who have come above ground, right? And so, yeah. and now serve in the government, right? They're elected officials. Um, so there's, there's some of that, right? Where we've got to be really careful and mindful and also, um, learn different skills on how we protect ourselves. But then inside of that, there is, um, incredible opportunity and, um, the opportunity is, you know we wouldn't be experiencing this pushback if we weren't changing things and so we have to keep going and we have to be deliberate about how we move and we have to apply extra pressure um now is not the time to kind of Rain it back, right? Now is the time to actually go full force. But I think one thing that we could consider about this moment is that full force is not rigidity. Full force is actually bringing more people into the process and into the fold, having many more access points for people to find each other and to work together, collaborate together and dream together. And that is actually what creates the collective force that we need to push forward and push through this backlash.
0: Hmm. Thank you for that answer. I mean, I one of the things I really love about your thinking is how thorough and yet vast you're able to describe the terrain. And so I, I, I have a lot of questions that I think connect up to what you're saying, but I want to start with this one. I have been doing some writing and thinking about the last, even the last couple years. I think we could put the whole decade into this. Mm -hmm. But seeing these moments of uprising um, in cities, places, across the states, actually across the world, and yet there are moments where it feels like we get stuck in this process of change or we don't, we may have a big show, but things don't ultimately Change to the degree that we really hope that they will. And so, my question to you I think it relates to what you were saying is how do you think things change or we change? How does change happen?
1: Well, some change is ongoing and inevitable, right? Like I'm changing right now, my skin cells are regenerating, Um, I'm taking breaths that are changing my cellular chemistry, right? So, that kind of change is always happening. And then there's the change that we um, try and seed. And I think that the way that change happens is when people reach a breaking point, right? Some people in some frameworks call it like rock bottom. Other people call it like, you know, um, increased awareness, right? Um, but I always just shorthand it and say that change happens when something In us gets disrupted, and we are asked to make a choice about which way forward. Are we going to try and stay the same or are we willing to kind of explore something different? And then social change, I think, happens when more than one, multiple people, right, are going through that process together. And it's not linear, right? It's it's not a A, ABC one, two, three. Actually, I'm in that process of discovery. Um, you know, we go all around, we go all around, mm-hmm. but ultimately continuing to step forward is what brings about change. And in an organizing context, I think that change happens when people who are directly impacted by a thing come together, learn about each other, learn about the thing they're being impacted by and decide they want to do something about it. And they make plans and execute those plans to change it. Um, and to do that together. And through the process of that, right, those people are transformed, and so are our social conditions due to the efforts that people are making, deliberate efforts that people are making to change them.
0: This is why I really always wanted you to be on this podcast (laughs) because there is, gosh, such a precision to how you speak which to me is like there's a precision to how you see the forces and how they're engaging with one another. And I find it so, so helpful, I think, to all of us. Mm-hmm. Your book, The Purpose of Power, I read it. It's been over a year now, but I read it and I really recommend it to everybody who's listening because I think there's a lot of people who've probably been activated in the last year, a couple years, and they have an this urge to do something but actually don't Know what to do. And I think your book breaks down some really key ideas, understandings about movement, about organizing, about change that I think is oftentimes lost on people who may be activated alone. And so I just wanted to take a minute to ask you some maybe some foundational questions that I think are really important for people to understand. Um, Maybe words that we use all the time, but we aren't looking at them in a kind of nuanced or complex or historical way. And the first question I want to ask you is, what is power?
1: So power to me is the ability to change your circumstances and the circumstances of other people. And I always combine them because I think oftentimes people confuse power with empowerment. And empowerment, um, I describe as feeling good in your current state of conditions. Right now, we live in a world where there is homelessness and poverty and people are going hungry and people don't have access to healthcare. But I can look in the mirror inside of this world and say, I'm amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing has changed about my external conditions, right? That's right but that's internally, right? right I, I, I'm feeling good. Um, But power is something different than that. And I like to bring those two pieces of the definition together because as our movements are concerned, I think we have a really hard time grappling with what it means to have uh, decision-making over the circumstances of other people. And that is actually um, what we're grappling with, and what we need to grapple with as a movement. So it is both about being able to change your own life circumstances, but it's also about having influence and impact over the circumstances of others. And then there's multiple forms of power that are operating at any given time, and there are numerous forms of power that we need to build as a movement, and that we should be focused on building. And in my book, you know, I use a framework that Aijin Poo developed. Aijin is the executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. And she's a brilliant organizer and campaigner. And she really talks about things like disruptive power, right? The ability to Mm -hmm. stop bad Mm -hmm. things from happening. She talks about modeling power, right? The ability to put alternatives out into the world and test them, right? Mm -hmm. And have them actually go directly against the status quo. She talks about, you know, narrative power, right? The ability to tell the story of who we are and who we can be together. You know, she talks about these different forms of power that we need to be building at any given time. And why I find that so helpful is that I think being precise about power um, helps us be precise about strategy and how we get from mm-hmm. where we are now to where we want to go. But if we don't have clarity on where we're trying to go, the steps that we take are going to be disordered.
0: <laughs> I laugh because it just that's so good. That's right. You know, that's that's (laughs) that real talk right there. It will be disordered. Yes. It will be disordered. (laughs) So I was going to ask you another kind of definition, but I just want to, I want to stay here for one second longer and ask you, why are we so afraid of it?
1: I think we're really afraid of power because um, of two reasons. One, it's deeply corrupt. The way that power operates on us is not only intrusive and parasitic and predatory, right? But it is built, right, on corruption and disorder, right? And so, of course, we would be afraid of it, right? <laughs> because, Or we would be wary of it, right? Because the ways in which we've seen power operate have been deeply, deeply harmful, And I think that we are also afraid of it because there is a dynamic in our movements, right, that takes that distrust and it makes it almost one of our laws or principles, right? We should be distrustful of power. We should never, you know, exercise power over another person. We should, you know, everybody's got this, whatever. Mm. But the problem is that's not actually true power is operating all the time, um, in many different contexts and forms. And so maybe instead of trying to avoid power, right, we should figure out what are we trying to transform it into? um, And how do we know when we got there?
0: Ooh. I'm getting excited over here. I'm off camera. So at least you can't <laughs> see, but I am. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need this. Mm-hmm. We need this. Mm-hmm. And that piece that you're saying around how power doesn't disappear. We may have ideas that, okay, there's no power here, or we're structured in a way that no one has more power than the other. Power is always at play. It's always at play. And to deny that means exactly what you're saying. We don't wield it well. Thank you for that. It makes me feel excited (laughs) for saying these things out loud. All right. Can you talk to me again? I mean, you've touched on this here, but the distinctions that you show in your book through your own story, through your own work, between organizing and organizing in communities and direct action or these these moments where people might hit the streets, can you talk about their relationship and the distinctions that you feel like are important for us to understand?
1: Yeah, so organizing is very much about collective action that's driven by strategy. And um activism can take many different forms. Um it may or may not be activated by strategy, and in fact it's deeply personal. It's deeply individual. Um I have a relative who I love dearly who's been a peace activist for a long time. And yes, she's, you know, engaged in many different organizations, you know, she gives money to this, that and the other thing. And her activism looks like um, when she goes out and walks her dogs, she wears this, I know this is so Bay Area, but she wears this cardboard sign, right, that it's like about Mm -hmm. peace and not, you know, stopping war. Mm-hmm. That's a great example to me of activism, right? It's like a, a a personal contribution to a cause that you care about, but it may or may not exist inside of a strategy. It may or may not exist inside of a plan to win, right? It, it just it you've made your statement and you are letting other people know where you stand on a thing. Organizing is actually quite different than that. Organizing um, is driven by a strategy to impact somebody who can give you what you want. (laughs) And so the actions that we take, right, are geared towards that. Um, Direct action can be a part of a strategy. I don't think direct action is the strategy in and of itself, but we could have that Mm -hmm. conversation at some point. But essentially, organizing requires an analysis of power, it requires an analysis of the political landscape, and it also requires a plan to win. How do we get from here to there? Um, And activism does not require that. Now, with that being said, one is not better than the other. Um, It's to say that each plays a different role. And, you know, Prentice, like, I am intentional about how I describe Things because I want people to know um, what I mean when I say a thing, and I think oftentimes we throw around words like power or organizing or you know strategy, right? And we don't actually mean the same thing, and so this is also potentially a site for conflict, right? Um, if we don't take the time with each other to make the implicit explicit, it can be a source of a lot of pain, a lot of tension, a lot of friction um, that I think could be avoided.
0: Whew. You know, I do a lot of conflict transformation work, and that is the number one driver I find of conflict that I'm asked to facilitate is when something that has been kind of implied or reimagined is just yeah. there we share the same definition but it hasn't been made explicit so many things can happen so mm-hmm. many things can happen so um yeah i i really do appreciate your intention mm-hmm. and how you use language and i think it's really important for all of us who are wanting to seed change as you were saying mm-hmm. to to be clear about what we're doing and why, uh-huh. and what language are y- we're using, and to what d- to what end. Uh-huh. So, thank you for that. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. You know, I feel like we've been in this period of a lot of isolation mm-hmm. over the last few years. You know, COVID and everything that's been happening there, and it's been a period where I feel like a lot of fear. And, as you were mentioning at the top, violence has been able to take root in a particular way. And I was thinking about your book, and you talk about othering and what that serves politically, who that serves politically for us to be engaged in othering one another and I guess I'm just wondering in, in kind of what you see as you look out how do we how do we counter this, this othering that can happen very easily in isolation? How do our movements counter this? How can organizing counter this? What what are some of the ways we can start to break out of what I feel like has kind of concretized or taken root in this period? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, my best answer for that is um, to pay attention to it. Prentice, you know this. I, You and I have been in this work for a long time. And if there's anything that really... Like is mind-boggling for me, and and it's also very human. But it's the our tendencies to click and group, right? (laughs) Um, And it's almost like the way that we define ourselves is by talking about who we are not, as opposed to who we are. And I see it in politics. I see it in our movements. I am, you know, shaped and groomed by traditions. Political traditions, right? That did that really well. And what I, f- and the othering piece of it, right? It's like, we are this. We think this way. We don't do that. We don't think this. We don't roll that way. But the hard thing was oftentimes it was used as a way to get closer to people who thought exactly like you, who did the same things that you did, who believed the same things that you did. But it wasn't used as a way to get bigger and to be broader. And in fact, being broad, right, was considered too watered down. And these have been deep dynamic tensions in our movement, not just in our generation of movement, but, you know, ever since our people set foot on these shores, right, in the bottom of boats and in chains and all of that, we've been dealing with this as a function of resistance for a very long time because we are also being defined and othered, right? And so in some ways you could look at it like this tendency to find power wherever you can, right? One of my mentors used to say to me, you know, everybody talks about crabs in a barrel, but nobody nobody investigates if the barrel is the crab's natural habitat, <laughs> right? And i always be like, Mm. <laughs> that's deep. Like there's a way in which, um, we can actually replicate the same dynamics that we're trying to intervene in. Um, and so zooming out and trying to be more aware of that um, is really important. I also think, um, that one of the dynamic tensions we have around, um, othering is actually fear, right? So we, we, we talk about racism, we talk about homophobia, we talk about all the phobias and isms as an irrational fear. Right? And actually, we have that too, um, in, in a political sense, right? I, I wonder if we've considered that some of the ways in which we other are based in fear of a lot of things, Fear of being rejected, fear of not being seen, fear of being run over and and steamrolled, right? There's there's a lot of different things that we're scared of. And I wonder if we were able to just name that more often, if we could turn around and face it and say, okay, yeah, I'm actually really scared that if I join up with these people that don't think exactly the way that I do, that they're going to overtake my efforts and change my ideas. Okay, so what do we do about that? How do we get from here to there, right? Um, and avoid that. So I, I don't want to like belabor the point, but I, I do think that um, you know John Powell and others have talked about othering and belonging, and, and I like the framework. And I also, you know, you know, I'm like it's not totally fit for me, but I do think that it does highlight, right, that there is this tendency that we have, even in resistance efforts. To categorize each other. And that's actually something that we're trying to undo. So it's worth our attention and it's worth our intention to figure out how we do that, not as separate from our work, but as a part of it.
0: Hmm. Oh, wow. That's so good. Really understanding fear as a motivator. I don't think we talk about that very often. And how so much, I mean, we talk about safe spaces or safety or trying to create safety but so much of that is motivated by things that have happened or things that we imagine might happen. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a a really important thing for us to be in consideration around how is fear running us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's right. Fear is all up and down in all of our movements. There's so much fear that's scarcity, fear, all of that.
1: As it should be. A lot of us find movement from being rejected. A lot of us Mm -hmm. find movement from... Being targeted, you know. Of course, of course, we would That's have right. these fears. Um, That's right. But if we're going to transform things, right, then we've got to be able to face fear and make sense of it and translate it into something else besides categories of exclusion. Whew.
0: You know, on that note, I talk about movement as a place where healing can happen because it restores agency, which to me is so important after something traumatic happens for us to feel like we have the agency to make change in our own lives. And yet there are these places where it could become, we could become rigid in the places where we are afraid if we don't become courageous, essentially, like you're saying, in those same places. So I kind of want to talk to you about that. Um, I want to switch and ask you some questions about being Alicia.
1: Um. (laughs) i'm like i'm like me too (laughs) let's go where do you want to start (laughs) i'm I'm all in those questions lately like i'm like so who are we (laughs) what are we doing today girl you know (laughs) that's
0: amazing literally (laughs) Literally, so let's get into it. Okay, (laughs) so changes, going through some changes. I mean, I guess I want to start with what have you learned in being a leader in the way that you have been. I would say at the level, but not in a in a hierarchical sense, but in the way that you've been a leader. What have you learned? What have been the costs, and also what are some of the beautiful things that have come of it? But Uh, What do you know now?
1: Mm. Um, What I know now is leadership can be very, very lonely, and I still don't think it has to be. Um, You know, I I have spent um, the last couple of decades, actually, um, stretching into roles that, um, I never felt ready for, right. Um, both from, you know, the first time I became an executive director in an organization that I had been in for over a decade, um, and feeling that shift of like, it's really different to be in a position where the buck stops with you and the responsibility lays with you too. Um, And what that experience taught me a lot about was, um, you know, I wanted to be a better uh, contributor and collaborator once I understood what it meant um, to be the target, (laughs) right? Mm. So uh, I had this experience, and I think this is true for lots of people who take up leadership, where people treat you different. And they have different expectations of you and assumptions about you. And those things are rarely ever expressed, but you're definitely held accountable to them. Um, And I experienced that also in the last um, decade of movement, right? Um, It was not my first time at the rodeo. I was not new to the movement, but I was new to like the way in which I really, yeah, there was a lot of loneliness in there. I I really felt for a long time, like people can't understand what this is like. And I didn't choose it. And most days I don't want it and I know it's happening. So I I need to figure out how to be in this. Um, And I think what I learned over time was actually there are many people who feel this and know this and we're all having the same conversations with ourselves, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> where you where you intervene on the loneliness is like find you a crew, you know, find you a crew. I had a real um, healing moment um, last year, apprentice, where I, I was on a trip um, with a group of women that I had actually become close to during the pandemic. Um, and it was right after, you know, protests and you know, global everything. It was all this, it's all the stuff, right? And it was like a rehashing right mm-hmm. <laughs> of what had happened like six or seven years prior. And I was really tired. Um, really, really tired. And then on top of that, right, you get threats, death threats, all these things. And I was sitting around this fire, and I was talking to these women who I didn't know well. I'd gotten to know them, made a lot of assumptions that these powerhouses in, you know, journalism and media and sports and all these things, like didn't experience the things I was experiencing. And they were like, "Dude, mm. um, mm. absolutely. Like that happened. That's happened to me three times. Oh, you mm. s- you struggle with that? I've been struggling with that. And I, I had this moment, Prentice, where I said." Oh, I, I really long for this for a decade, um, as a leader. So I think what I've learned about leadership and what I've learned over the last period is that it is lonely and it doesn't have to be. Um, so I, in this phase, I'm trying to, um, be more intentional about creating community like that. Yeah where we can be open and vulnerable and strategize together and have each other's backs around things. And I've also learned Prentice um, that in the same way we talk about making people uncomfortable with our organizing. um, I I think I I've become more okay with making people uncomfortable about my boundaries. Mm. Um, I no longer feel like I am responsible to, Um, Or accountable to a whole bunch of people that I don't know, never met (laughs) and have zero relationship to. And I think it really shocks people because they have made up a story about you in their mind. Right, they see you in these different places. They think you are a certain way. They, you know, they attach a lot of things to you. That's very human. I do it too. When I um, am watching my TV shows, you know, I have an imagination about (laughs) who those people are in real life. Right, and if I'm ever lucky enough to meet them in real life, I'm always surprised.
0: (laughs) Right, always every time,
1: (laughs) every single time. So, like the thing where it's like, you know. I want this, I want you to do this, I want you to say this, I want you to be this way. I'm like, well, I can't I can't do that with a million people. Right? That's right. <laughs> there's no there's no coherence there, there's no cohesion there and there's also not relationship. Like, I don't actually get to ask the same of you, and so therefore we're not accountable to each other. That doesn't mean that we can't build relationship, but we haven't even gotten there yet. We got to start there. And if we both decide that that's what we want to do, then we can start talking about accountability but until that point right you have the right to your opinion i have the right to mine if you choose to share that opinion broadly bless you bless your heart <laughs> but i i don't have to like react respond or or take it on um and i don't say that to be snarky or mean it's to say it's the number one self preservation tool that i've learned over this last decade and i feel like i finally have become comfortable with it like really really like it's not just a jacket that i put on it's like you know it's it's my underwear it's my chonies mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yes your chonies yes <laughs> you know? i know about
0: that you know what I mean? but- we need some boundaries, Tonies. Because <laughs> you know, it's serious out here. <laughs> it's really, it's really, really serious.
1: And last thing I'll offer here is um I have learned that um there is such a longing in our movements to be seen, heard, and valued.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: yeah. To be seen, heard, and valued. And sometimes that expresses itself as Profiles, right? People wanting profiles. Um, sometimes that expresses itself as people wanting credit, right? Um, but more often than that, I think it really speaks to something that we need to be more mindful of. You know, I I have spent a long time studying movement and being a part of movement, and um, I, I don't just study our movement; I study our opposition.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: One mm-hmm. of the things that they are so good at is belonging. When people find that movement or when that movement finds them, um, they don't let you go. They do not Mm. let you go. They do all kinds of things to make you feel seen. And I don't mean putting you on Rachel Maddow or Fox News or whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. they validate why you're there. They help you make sense of who's responsible for your pain. And they give you something to do about it. And they keep giving you stuff to do about it until you start building your own crew, right, of people <laughs> that you're then <laughs> leading and grooming and shaping and activating and making them feel like they belong somewhere. And I I, I think, um, you know, one of the things I feel like we struggle with as a contradiction is this tension between not wanting to feel like we have to fit in and also really wanting to fit in. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how we, how we answer for that. Um, I don't know what we do about that, but it's something I'm really sitting with because I think in this period of even more isolation and grief and fear, we need tools. We need tools as a movement for how it is that, um, we belong to each other. And how we belong in this movement in ways that aren't um, deeply divisive, deeply divisive. Um, so I, I'm still looking for that. And I'm, you know, happy to be in conversation with folk about that too. Because I, I think it's um, where we need to go if we're going to make it.
0: If we're going to make it. I, um, I'd love to talk to you more about that also. I hope we get to... I have just, I think, two maybe potentially small questions for you as we move towards close. And the first, which I, I realize I haven't said it or revealed it, but we know each other before this phone conversation. That's right. Actually, I think I met you before this phone conversation. I'm 100 years old, everybody, before this uh, podcast <laughs> conversation. <laughs> It could be fun. It could be fun. You know, whatever yeah, it is. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I you know, I lived in the Bay Area. I knew about your work with power. And I think I, I talked to you very briefly at mm-hmm. a conference. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was. It was in, at the convention center in Oakland. Oh
1: yeah. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yeah. And then I knew you through Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And um I, I think I've always held a lot of respect for you, respect for all of these things that you're sharing, the work that you've done as an organizer, pre-BLM, through BLM, all of that beyond. Um, And I also was super concerned about you during that time because of the things you're sharing, the threats, the pressure, the divisiveness. And so I I think, mm. Maybe part of it is what you've shared, but how do you keep coming back to your own, I don't know if the right word is hopefulness, or um, how do you stay in? Mm.
1: Um, well, thank you for that, Prentice, and honestly, um, you're one of my favorite people to work with, Alicia. To dream same. with, it's like a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> it is real. It's a real thing, and I'm excited that I'm going to be like closer to where y'all are at, so that yes. we can have more of these conversations, not on screens, but like yeah, in person, yeah. <laughs> next to a fire pit, hopefully, yes, yes. <laughs> with a, with a beverage of of some sort. <laughs> um, I was really worried about me too. Mm. I was really worried about me too, and um, it is actually why I decided to leave, um, yeah. uh, I guess, 2017. Um, yeah. Not because I didn't believe in it, not because I didn't want it to be successful, but because I wasn't willing to be a martyr for it. Um, yes. And you said something to me at that time that I still sit with a lot, and I apply it in a lot of places in my life, um, even though it's really fucking hard. Um, you said, if this is something that people find value in and need to exist, they will fight for it. Hmm. Hmm. They will fight for it. So um, it's actually not your job, right? (laughs) To like hold it all together and hold everybody to it. It's like, no, Um, if it is something that is a value, people will fight for it. Um, So thank you for that. And it actually was, some of what gave me permission to stay in, but on my own terms,, mm-hmm. I no longer want to be a martyr for this movement, mm. you know, and by that, I hope that what I can model right for others is an undoing of a very dangerous practice that I learned from my own mentors, right It was like movement at all costs, um you know, people throw stuff at you and whatever but you just got to take it because ultimately we're doing this for generations after us and i at this point Prentice, i'm like i i don't i don't believe in that i don't believe in mm-hmm. that i am in movement for myself and for the people who i love in the right now and the benefit of that is that hopefully there will be something for somebody else <laughs> <laughs> mm. down the line, but there is no mm-hmm. down the line if we're not doing this for us right now. And if, if it's not the thing that keeps us alive, right? Um. So then given that for me staying in, how I stay in is I'm really intentional about what I take on and what I don't. And I'm really intentional about um the work that I do and the work that I don't do. And I'll give some examples. Like you know, um, having been in this for a while now, it, it, there's many moments of ebb and flow. And you know, in 2020, people were like turned up about Black Lives Matter, and you know, everybody from the Democratic Party to fucking Coca Cola to the right. NFL, Amazon, to, you know, you know, to um, you know, it, there's movements across the world that have been inspired by this movement, and vice versa. And so, you know, I was getting a lot of requests about things. And one request was, um, you know, can you come and do some diversity training for our team? And I was like, no, actually, that's not what I do. I don't do diversity work. Um, My work is about building black political power. And that's my role. That's my lane. And there are plenty of other people that can do that work for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I stay in by staying with the work that like drives me and makes me happy and uh, activates me. Um, And whenever I stray from that, the work is much harder and it's harder to stay in. Um, So I've learned that staying on purpose um, is really important. The other way I stay in, I'm in therapy. I really am. Okay. I really am. I really am. And I want to like shout it from the damn rooftops and like in therapy therapy, not like just talking to somebody every week. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: (laughs) you you know, doing the deep work. Yeah. You you know, people be like, I'm in therapy. You're like, no, you're talking to somebody every week. (laughs) But like you are not working any kind of plan. Not
0: working. You're not
1: working any kind of plan. And how can I tell by the quality of our relationship? Mm. So, um, there's that on that. So please people, I know that, um, infrastructure is not strong everywhere, but if you can access it in any way, um, please do. Um, and then the last thing is I really, I, I am so serious about my community, like my peoples Mm. and my Mm -hmm. peoples are real serious about me. Um, Mm. I'm in the process of shifting location. And this place that I'm in right now, I've grown up in literally. I've never lived any other place besides this state. And I've lived the majority of my life in this place. Um, And that's shifting for me. And it's given me such a beautiful opportunity to see how much my people really like are serious about the business of Miss Garza. They really are.
0: Yes, um, yes, and
1: and they will cut you if you are not serious yes. about the business of Miss Garza. <laughs> and that's wonderful because I feel that way about them too. Um, and so I just that has gotten me through so much. Like it's the way I stay in.
0: Well, Miss Garza, Alicia, <laughs> I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for your wisdom, for the clarity of your offering, for your precision, for your heart and the people that help you take care of it. I'm very grateful to be in this work and also in this conversation with you. Thank you Mm. for coming on today and sharing with us.
1: The gratitude is mutual. Thank you for having me.
0: Beautiful. Finding Our Way is produced and edited by Eddie Hemphill, co-production and visual design by Devin Delania, and assistant editing by Miranda Luis. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and review wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Finding Podcast, or email us with questions, suggestions, or feedback at findingourwaypod at gmail.com. You can also help sustain this podcast by becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. You can find us on Patreon at Finding Our Way Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Finding Our Way.